Well, as you may have, uh, well, first of all, I don't know, I was really, I'm always blessed with the opportunity to worship corporately, to hear other people sing in, to hear the voices, but um, I was just especially blessed by the the music worship this morning. I hope you were too. And um, just the uh, the um, the words that we were able to sing this morning, just really bringing our attention to the fact that we really are desperate before God and completely and needy. And um, oftentimes, you know what? He breaks us down when He wants to build us back up. And that's how we need to come before Him. We come before Him on our knees and but then when He lifts us up, we stand. And we sang that, right? That we then stand before Him and we stand and proclaim what He has done for us. And You know, our, our story this morning is uh, it's in Mark still. We're in our series in Mark about the way of Jesus. And we're looking at um, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this morning we look at that familiar story of the rich young ruler. And uh, Jesus has some some very um, specific things to teach his disciples and to teach us this morning about what it means to seek after God. What is it that we gain from doing that? We don't also often like to think about what's in it for us, but he even addresses that. But um, <clears throat> it's in Mark 10, and it's verses um, 17 to 31. It'll be up on the screen in a moment. But you probably heard uh, in, um, in my voice that I haven't been feeling well, I've been sick, and, and many of you I know have been struggling, and this is the first time this season that, uh, that I've been sick, and maybe like you, you know, once, usually once or twice during the, the colder weather of the season that you get sick, but um, this one hit me pretty hard, and um, <clears throat> I think it was strep throat, but I had some some uh, antibiotics they seem to work so some kind of infection and and then I was realizing before I came up here that you know I just wanted to share that with you here at my voice and just I apologize if there's a little less energy today but just more need to rely on the Holy Spirit right uh, to do his thing and um, I remember there was once I was super sick at our last church and I preached and my wife Claudia said that was the best sermon you ever preached and I said I don't even remember what I said but it was the best one because I, it wasn't me, right? It was the Holy Spirit and I had nothing to do with it. So that's usually when it's best, when I stay out of the way, <laughs> right? And let God's works, Word speak for itself. That's what I want to do this morning. But I also realized that I feel pretty lame because I've been talking about my foot surgery and now I'm sick. So I think all of my illustrations forever are going to be about some kind of physical malady. And it just means I'm old, right, is what it means. And so that's what you have to look forward to, you know. Um, <clears throat> but you know when you're when you're really sick and you're out of it, you have to stay home from work, and you just don't even have the energy to get out of bed, and, and just you feel so weird because you can't get comfortable, but you're so fatigued and exhausted, the body aches and all that, and you lose track of time, and things just seem weird. You know, you get out of step, out of your routine, and you lose track of like what day it is, and that happened to me a couple of times this week, just wondering like. What, what day it was, what was happening, because you're just so out of it. And I assume that <clears throat> today is Sunday, because you're all sitting here looking at me. So I think I'm good, because I figured it was, it was Sunday morning. But <clears throat> it can so easily distract us, can it? Like, there is something about routine and, and a regular uh, sort of flow of life, but 
we can also easily <clears throat> be distracted. Excuse me. And it doesn't really take much. Some of us, it's a little easier to get distracted than others. And uh, I notice it on Sundays. You know, it's okay. I see it. But, um, you know, I'm just joking. But, uh, you know, and so this week I was just really easily distracted from a lot of things. And, um, you know, in many ways, uh, it's kind of like what happens with our rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he thinks that he's on point and on target, but yet he's actually very distracted and quite confused. And so I kind of re- related to that in a way this week. But um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the passage and see, of course, as always, the context, what Mark is doing. But then just want to pick out a few highlights, a few points of what it is that Jesus is really getting at. Because we don't ever want to miss the heart of the issue of what Jesus is talking about. There's a lot of different things that we could focus on this morning, but in actually, in actuality, this whole story of the rich young ruler, it's about salvation, but then Jesus really takes the opportunity to teach his disciples about the true nature and demands of discipleship. And it flows right into Mark's whole theme, the way of Jesus, because that's really what Mark really focuses on in the whole gospel is about What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and what does it look like? And there's an immediacy to it because he's getting to the point of Jesus in his last week and going to the cross. And we've seen that in our in our study. Jesus is on that point. He's on that journey to Jerusalem and they're actually physically making their way to Jerusalem. And so um, uh, we're getting close to that point in the story of Jesus life and and uh, here is this, uh, this story of this rich young man, a rich young ruler, that comes to Jesus with a very simple, but I think sort of confused question. And he thinks that he is right on track with where he should be, right in the flow of life and how he believes he should be living for God, but he got distracted. And we can easily get distracted, and so in a way... God, I think, will use our passage this morning to bring us back into focus on where our perspective should be. So here's what it says in Mark 10, 17 to 31. As he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, of course, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, well, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23. And Jesus then looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And the disciples said to him, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, Well, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began saying to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers or sisters, or mother or father, or children or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Quite an interesting response of Jesus. And in some ways perplexing and perhaps confusing. Is Jesus teaching that we are to work our way to salvation? That's all that's left we need to do is give some things to the poor and then we'll inherit eternal life? Well, I'd like to believe that your initial reaction, of course, is no, because we know what Scripture teaches about salvation, that we do not earn that on our own, that it is a gift of God, for we are saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. So then what could Jesus be teaching? So we look at the context here, and we'll just point out a few things as we go through this um, section by section. But see, Jesus is on this journey... And he is setting out, and so just like there was always, um, there was always crowds, there was always people. Like he's on his way, and he's got an agenda. But of course, there's people that are coming that are in need, and so this rich young ruler is no different. And he comes and look at what he says. He says, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" Before we even look at the question, look at how this young man addresses Jesus. He says. Good teacher. Now, what's interesting to note is that that was not a common way to address a rabbi. See, rabbis, even though they were sort of self-righteous, they knew that only God was good and they did not expect to be called good. And so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, a good rabbi, and says, good teacher. So before Jesus even answers his question, just like Jesus He begins to get right to the heart of the matter and he kind of says, hold on, did you say good teacher? It's like he said, you talking to me? It's really the, in a way, Jesus was saying, wait, you just called me good. Do you know the implications of that? Because here's a confusing thing Jesus says. It seems confusing, but we keep it in the context. It comes to life pretty quickly. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, in a cursory reading, doesn't it sound like Jesus is saying, I'm not God? But again, we know better. Jesus, of course, is God. And actually, Jesus is not denying his um, divinity, his deity. He's actually giving sort of a veiled proof and reference of it. Because what he's actually saying here 
is he saying, why are you calling me good? Do you believe that I'm God? Because if so, I like your thinking. I like where you're going with this. So Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? Because be careful, if you are, then you're recognizing the reality that I am God. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, okay, be careful, you called me good. So before I even address your question, why is that? And so we first recognize Jesus is setting up his authority to then answer the question. And he is making sure that he and the rich young ruler are on the same page. See, when you have a conversation with somebody or somebody asks you a question, isn't it important to define terms first? You can have a whole conversation with somebody. Did you ever do that? And then at the end, you're just like, wait, what are we talking about? That happens all the time, right? And you can go on and on. You're like, man, I wish I had the last 10 minutes back. It's important to define terms. You know, I was talking with somebody recently, and they were talking about how in this day and age, we can't even really just say, do you believe in God? There was a time when then the vast majority of people would know that you were talking about the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. But today, more than ever, even if you say something very simple as, do you believe in God? We need to define terms. It's important that we use the word Jesus, don't we? In that sense. But you need to then discuss, okay, let's have a discussion about do we believe in God? Well, which God are we talking about? See what I mean? We have to say, well, there is only one true God. See, it's important to define terms to be able to get your point across, and that's what Jesus is doing. So he is defining, well, who is good? Only God alone. So therefore, if you recognize that I am the good teacher, then yes, I am God, and we will answer your question. Right? And so he then says, the, the, the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you notice the nature of that question? He says, what should I do? What do I need to do? I mean, you can even circle that word, do. What do I need to do? We just sang in that song, uh, The Stand, right? What can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. And that's where Jesus is going. You see? And so the rich young ruler says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Probably a question Jesus had heard a lot. Probably an attitude that, was, of course, was very common. What do I need to do is very common, of course, in the, uh, the way that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were teaching the law, that it was about keeping the law, it was about doing. What do I need to do next? It's the idea of living under the law. And so Jesus then... It's so awesome the way he answers the question. Because he doesn't just say, you can't do anything. You need to believe in me. Look at what he's saying. He wants to cut through all of that facade. He wants to make sure that this rich young ruler is, is breaking down those barriers of confusion and misunderstanding and distraction. And he says in verse 19, this is how he starts to answer the question. You know the commandments. So he's kind of playing along in a sense. He says, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, okay. You know what the commandments are. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. 
Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. He puts do not defraud in there. I think because he's a rich young ruler, a businessman, he includes that as an emphasis. Honor your father and mother. Does those sound familiar? Coming from, we call the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Right? And so Jesus is saying, you know what these are. And then the response in verse 20 is priceless. The rich young ruler can just picture him. He says, teacher, all these things that you just mentioned, I've kept them perfectly since my youth. Now, what he means is since his bar mitzvah, since he was 12 or 13, since that time when he was recognized in his religion, his society, as a man who then had to take on responsibility for keeping the law, he says, ever since that moment, I've been doing all those things perfectly. I've kept them all. That's what he says to Jesus. In some ways, don't we kind of act like that before God? Like, God, I'm pretty good. I'm doing good here. You know, I've I've read this today and I did that. I read this, I read that. And it can lead us down that slippery slope, that path of, well, if I just do these things, God will be pleased with me. And then all is right with the world. And so, this young man dares to say to Jesus, can you imagine just Jesus' reaction? I did all those things. So I haven't committed murder. I'm not an adulterer. Didn't steal. Bear false witness. I'm, I'm good in my business. Didn't defraud anybody, either father or mother. And, um, and, and so he says, I've done all these things. Like ever since I was supposed to, that's what I've been doing. And it was very common during that day for the Jewish people, especially for the men who were following after the rabbis, to believe that they had the ability to perfectly fulfill the law. And that they were. If they were keeping the laws as they should have, going through all the motions, that they were then fulfilling that law. Doing what Jesus was then saying, trying to get the man to start thinking a little deeper. See? And Jesus, verse 21, looking at him, he loved him. Isn't that great? Jesus had compassion. There has been other times in our study, remember when Jesus came across the crowds and they were hungry or they were in need or they were kept asking to be healed and He looked on them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that? So Jesus again, He looks at this very prideful young man who says, Jesus, I've been doing all those things since day one. I've been perfectly fulfilling the commandments and he looks at him and he loves him. He looks at him and he loves him. Do we do that? I mean, there's people in our lives we know, very prideful. I mean, sometimes we look at them and we're just like, man, I wish God would just kind of knock them down a peg, right? We do that, you know? Sometimes we're that person and people are looking at us. But Jesus, no, of course. Jesus looks at him. Again, he knows his heart, he knows his confusion, he knows his distraction, and he loves him. Jesus loves him. What a great reminder for us that even when we slip and we're prideful, even when we act and we come before God, acting like, God, I'm, I'm good. Can I have those blessings now? Can I have that job because I read my Bible every day this week? Can I now have what you've blessed? Jesus loves us. 
all the same, like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus looked at him. He loved him and he said, okay, he's still in a sense playing his game. He's talking on his level. He's bringing him along. You see what he's doing? He doesn't just come out and chastise him. He kind of leaves that for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And the scribes. And here is this rich young man who's apparently lost. And Jesus loves him. And so he's bringing him along so he could learn this. And he says, well, you've been doing all that perfectly. Okay, there's only one thing left. Go, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then, of course, you can just picture he hangs his head. He sulks away, tail between his legs. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. So Jesus says, you lack only one thing. So do you think Jesus is saying, like, yeah, he did keep everything perfectly and this is the only thing left? No. He's getting a point across and he says, okay, there's only one thing left for you to do then. Mr. Perfect, right? In that sense. Here's what you got to do. But doesn't Jesus get right to the heart of it? What does he choose? What does he say that he needs to do? Sell everything. Because he's a rich young man. So he's got all these worldly possessions. And he says, go and sell everything that you have. He knew what this man's stumbling block was. For you, it might not be riches. For you, maybe it's something else. I know that... um. I had some friends when it was my first year in college, and um, we were all into music together. And these two friends were uh, dorm mates, and, you know, roommates in, in school, and, and they loved the Grateful Dead. They were huge fans. This is before they were believers, and they, they, um, their whole dorm room was just decked out of all the stuff that you would think that Grateful Dead, like deadheads, would have. Just picture it, right? It looked like, it smelled like, what you would expect. And they became believers in the same time I did through this group on, on campus. And it was a beautiful thing the way it worked. But you know what? God got a hold of their heart. And I went over one day and their place was completely transformed. They had taken all that stuff and thrown it away. Now my first reaction was, you threw away all your CDs and records. That was when we had records too. Records. But f- for them... They needed to do that. It was a stumbling block for them. See, they didn't need to throw that all away to get rid of it to be saved. But what happened was they needed to rid themselves of that so they could then recognize their depravity before God that that was a thing, maybe most in their life, that was keeping them from God was their worship of a band, of a, a music, of something other than God. See, for them, that's what it was. And they needed to throw that out. Now, it doesn't mean we all have to do that particular thing. But the principle and the lesson is still the same. Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have. Rid yourself of all those things that you're keeping between me and you that are leading to pride, to thinking that you can earn your salvation, that you can please me other than just worshiping me. See, Jesus is saying, Get rid of that. So for you, it might be something else. But this was a rich, young ruler who had power, authority, and wealth. And Jesus says, here's the last thing you got to do. It's like that last barrier, that last wall to be broken down. 
Because Jesus is saying, if you do that and give it all away, then, not that you will then be saved, he says, then you will recognize that there are treasures in heaven that are waiting for you. Then you will recognize your complete and utter dependence upon me and nothing else. Then that veil will be lifted. You will then be able to recognize your need not to keep the law, but your need for salvation, for the Messiah. See where Jesus is going with that? And He's saying, go ahead and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Romans tells us there is no one who is good, not even one. Galatians Three, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Meaning, if you want to earn your way to salvation, Jesus is in effect saying you can by keeping the law perfectly every second of every day forever. Now, of course, that's impossible. So he's saying, yes, you want to earn your salvation? Then here's how you're going to do it. But it's impossible. So what's the only other option that God offers it as a free gift to us? See? And so he goes on. You know, it's interesting that uh, in Matthew, it says of the same story, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's like, um, there's also that, uh, that idea of that loving our neighbor, loving God first, loving our neighbor as well. The great commandment kind of summarizes everything that, that Jesus was talking about when he was saying, you know, don't, don't uh, covet, don't murder, don't commit adultery. All those things that Jesus listed. He's saying wrap them all up like love your neighbor as yourself. Because in Romans 13 it says, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Remember when Jesus said all the law and prophets are wrapped up in this one thing. Love God and love others. And so Jesus is saying, okay, here's how you become perfect. You love God perfectly and you sell everything Because that shows that you love your neighbor. He wasn't willing to do that. And so he walked away. See, Jesus was setting the man up for him to recognize his need for salvation. His neediness, even though he was rich. He didn't get it, did he? Because he walked away. He thought he could do something. See, Jesus challenged him to exchange his earthly wealth For treasure in heaven. We talk about that for just a second. What Jesus then goes on and uh, what He goes on to tell His disciples is that there are eternal rewards. There are rewards for following Jesus. But what we need to recognize here is then Jesus then shifts focus and gear towards His disciples to teach them about discipleship. We don't want to confuse the two. When he's talking to the rich young ruler, he's talking about eternal salvation. You cannot earn your own salvation. Okay, that's pretty clear. But then see what happens is he turns to the disciples. In verse 23, okay, here's sort of a turning point in the story. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, in the, uh, in the original language, that phrase, Jesus looked around, It's kind of got this picture of Jesus looks in everybody's eyes. He's like, are you with me? Are you with me? You tracking with me? You following me? Because hear what I'm about to say. That's what Jesus does. Not just to the twelve, all the disciples. He says, listen very carefully. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
It says the disciples were amazed. And he says again, now this is to the disciples, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's even easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now I've heard all kinds of different theories on what that means. Um, None of them are true. What it really means is simply what it says. This was a well-known idiom. People that were listening to this would have known what it meant. It simply means what it says. That can you take an actual camel and allow it to go through an eye of a sewing needle? No, it's impossible. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on to back that up. It's impossible. So it wasn't some other metaphor where we can kind of get around what Jesus is trying to teach. What he says, he means. He says... That it is easier for an actual camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because riches can be a great obstacle. But again, maybe it's not for you, but put something else in there. Fill in that blank. There is always going to be something before that moment of salvation that hinders us from seeing our need. See, Scripture tells us that the world is blinded. People who have not yet accepted Christ are blinded. It's only God that removes that veil. See, that's what Jesus was trying to do with this rich young ruler. So he goes on to tell his disciples that difficulty. That perhaps riches, or whatever it is for you, would be a powerful blinder to that need of Christ. It can be difficult because it leads to pride. It leads to holding on to things and not letting go. You know, health and wealth could be a reward for obedience in God and the life of a believer, but maybe not. See, this is a a popular passage for health and wealth prosperity gospel teachers. And say, see what it says here? And then look what we're about to read, and you'll see why I say that. See, it says the disciples were exceedingly uh, astonished. They said, okay, Jesus, if it's that hard... And it's going to be a camel to go through the eye of a needle would be easier. Then they say, well, who on earth can be saved? And Jesus gives the answer. Well, you're right. With man, it's impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. We've heard that before, right? All things are possible with God. The reference here, the context here is eternal salvation. He's saying, look, you cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot earn your own salvation For men it's impossible, but God can do it. So salvation is from God. It is a gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So he shifts to this discipleship mode. Peter then says to him, and this is, notice this now. Peter, here's the one who's always kind of mixing things up, right? What does he say? Yeah, Jesus, we did that. We left everything to follow you. You told this guy... To sell everything and then come follow me. Hey, we did that. What what do we get? What's good? What's good? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one. Now follow, because it's a long sentence here. But look what he says. Jesus says, this is true. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not then receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, all those things, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, and in the age to come, eternal life. But he throws something in there. 
with persecutions. You can go back to that other, he says, but with persecutions. See that? With persecutions. So what is Jesus saying here? He's telling the disciples who are already saved, okay? Now he's talking about rewards in heaven. Because Peter is saying, he's, speak, he's speaking up for the group like he, like he usually does, and he says, Jesus, we did that. Remember you came and you called us and we dropped our nets? We left our lucrative fishing business? We left our, our families to take care of that? We did all that. We left relationships. We left land. We left businesses. We did all that. We got out of our boats. We dropped it all and we followed you. And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. And I'll tell you this. Disciples, that no one who has done those things for my sake and for the Gospel, not for selfish reasons, that you will then receive a hundredfold now in this time and the age to come, eternal life. Isn't that interesting? So can he possibly mean that if we give up things for Jesus, that we're just going to get those things back a hundredfold? Like if you decide to sell your house in the name of Jesus, that he's going to give you a hundred houses? And would you even want if you gave up, let's say, uh, brothers, sisters, mothers, do you want a hundred brothers and sisters? I mean, it's silly, right? So what is he saying? Jesus is saying, with persecutions, because that will be a part of it, if you give your life to me as a disciple, you will be rewarded. He is very simply answering Peter's question. He's saying, yes, Peter, you're right. You all did give up things. You sacrificed. That's the call of a disciple. See, let's remember we keep these things separate. Okay, We believe in Christ for salvation. And then we choose to be a disciple. I believe that wholeheartedly. And so he then calls them to discipleship to drop those things. To drop all those things that could possibly be a distraction or get in the way. And he says, come and follow me. Like he told the rich young ruler, yeah, just go sell everything else and come follow me then. And Peter says, we did that. What do we get? And Jesus says, as long as you do it with the right heart, he says, for my sake and for the gospel, you will be rewarded. See, that's good news for disciples. That's good news for believers. There is reward. He says, on this side of heaven, in this time, you'll receive a hundredfold. But also in the age to come, eternal life. There's rewards for discipleship now. But you know what? It's not always going to be material things. It might hardly ever be. It's usually spiritual. But aren't those so much better so much more desirable than any material thing that Jesus could bless us with. He's saying keep your eyes on the right prize. He's saying yes, there are rewards. Jesus sort of introduces this idea to them. Remember in the past they were, they were arguing with one another who's going to be the greatest? Right? They had in mind like what do we get for this? And Jesus says you will be rewarded for your sacrifices as a disciple, as a follower of mine. Why? Because there will be persecution. You will be called upon to lay it all on the line as a follower of me. You take upon yourself that, that name of Christian, there will be persecutions. 
There will be trials. But you continue to lay it all down and follow me and recognize discipleship requires sacrifice. It is costly. Salvation is free. But discipleship is costly. Let's remember that. And that's what he's teaching his disciples. He said you will be rewarded on earth, but also in heaven. But see, I guess the last thing I'll say about that is that don't we too often focus on the here and now? We want our rewards now. And Jesus addresses that in his very last statement. He says, but remember, many who are first will be last. But the last will be first. He's talking still about those rewards. He's saying, if you want to put all your eggs in the basket on this side of heaven, you'll be rewarded on this side of heaven. But remember, how much greater are the riches in glory? How much greater are those eternal rewards Don't stay focused on just your lifetime here. If our lifetime here lasts just but a short breath, a few years, compared to eternity, do you want all your rewards here and now in material things? And he says, but eternal life is yours in the age to come. So the age now and the age to come, you will be rewarded. So much better what we have to look forward to in heaven. And so Jesus then wraps it up and he says, you know what? If you want to avoid the difficulties of discipleship, then the first in this side of heaven will be last in heaven. It's difficult teaching, right? He's not saying that nobody, you don't get into heaven. They're all in heaven. The first, the last, we're in heaven, see? But Jesus is saying, if you're willing to sacrifice... You be my disciple. You give it all up for me. Lay down that pride. He promises you will be rewarded. Eternal rewards. We talked once about those crowns, those five crowns that we get. He says, they're waiting for you. This life is but a vapor. He says, lay it all down. You'll be rewarded here and I will bless you for your persecution, for your sacrifice as my disciples, for my name and the gospel's sake. But... Remember how much greater it is in eternity with your heavenly Father. And he says, so if you want to be first in this life, if you want to be that best disciple, that number one disciple, and they said, who's going who's gonna to be greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, fine, then you're going to be last in the kingdom. Whatever that might look like. He's trying to get their focus and attention. See, he was doing that. He was doing that with the rich young ruler. He was trying to bring him along and tell him, look, you don't have your focus in the right place. As you think you can do in order to enter heaven. Then he turns to his disciples, already saved, already believing in him, who have committed to follow him. And he says, yes, you will be rewarded for following me because what comes with following me is difficulties and persecutions. And so therefore, it will be a sacrifice and he basically then says are you willing to give yourself away what are you willing to do for me as my disciple as a believer are you willing then to take up your cross and follow me are you willing then to go and sell all you have love your neighbor give it to the poor and then come and follow me he's saying look when are you going to empty yourself of self to lay down all the pride and let me fill you with all the beautiful riches that I have for you. 
That's what he's saying. When are you willing to give yourself away? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take on that call to be a disciple? To call Him Lord each and every day and to act like it and to follow Him and to lay down all those riches, whatever it is for you, to lay it down at His feet on a daily basis and say, I will. I will give myself away for you so that you can use me. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the call to discipleship. It's hard. It's difficult. But yet, Lord, it is so rewarding. We know that. We thank You for this beautiful reminder that there are rewards that are waiting for us. Rewards You have for us now. Wonderful. True rewards in heaven. We look forward to that. But God, whatever You choose to bless us with, we thank You. We thank You for giving those things to us. God, You know our needs. You tell us in Your Word that... that um, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, they always have a place to stay and they have food to eat and they're kept warm when they need to and when they need to be. But yet, how much more do you love us, your children? We thank you, Lord, for that. So whatever those persecutions may be, whatever it is we feel in the pain of loss and sacrifice for being a disciple of yours, God, we want to willingly accept that, to willingly give it all away. We want to willingly just empty ourselves of self so that you can fill us and you can fill us anew with all the beautiful riches that you have for us in this life and the life to come. Thank you, God. Until you do call us home or come back for your church, a day we look forward to, but until that day, God, help us to make that commitment every day to be your disciples. To give ourselves away. To lay down that pride. To go and sell and give away all of those things that distract us. That keep us from recognizing who we truly are in your sight. Lord, may we never let anything else define us except you. May we always find the greatest riches that this world and heaven has to offer in you, Lord Jesus. We want to follow you willingly wherever you tell us to go, wherever you will take us. God, fill us through your spirit. Fill us now, even as we worship you, honor you. God, help us. We truly need your guidance. We need your strength. We need your courage to do that. To lay it all down at your feet so you can then fill us anew. And God, we look forward to what you have for us. But God, we take one step at a time, one day at a time. May we be willing. In Jesus' name, amen.